about documentaries i'm a special k i'm joined by nobody this week be flying solo uh, matt is uh, previously engaged so he is not available so i'll be doing this one by myself we'll see how it goes um just to start out with things are good things are all right uh, a little housekeeping we did have an issue recently uh with apple podcasts so if uh if you were subscribed, please double check that you are still subscribed. Uh, you know, podcast is so nice it has listed twice. So one of those listings is uh, being archived. So make sure you're subscribed to the one that's selective. And, uh, you know, tell your friends. Make sure they're subscribed as well. For the correction section, since Matt is unavailable, uh, I went ahead and took a, took a peek here at a few things and just want to make two, well, I guess... Three corrections to last week's episode. Uh, first off, uh, Matt, I, I got a damn because he's not here. He said that uh, when we're talking about the TV series alone, he said that in season seven or eight, they drop they drop them off in Antarctica. And just to clarify, season seven and eight take place in Canada, not Antarctica. Number one. He goes on to say, we're talking about knife fighting orangutans on the Arctic Plains. Uh, news alert, animal fact guy. Orangutans don't live in the Arctic. <laughs> so unless they're, unless they're flying in orangutans for these Arctic episodes, I think you're safe from uh, orangutans. And I don't think you're going to be knife fighting orangutan. I don't know if they can use knives. Maybe they can. I didn't check that. But gotcha. Gotcha, fucker. And then just one for me, just something I listened to and I heard, and I just, I'm an idiot. Uh, I mentioned that uh, you can't, or that you can bring, you can't bring a fishing pole, but you can bring, I said fishing string, like an idiot. It's called a fishing line. I don't know why I called it string. It's definitely a line. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dummy, so I got myself on that one. But that's it. Other than that, perfect episode, as expected. Other than those little minor points, but... Anyway, so for this week, I figured this would be a good one to cover since, you know, you know, the story is that Matt, you know, is uh, is busy with a family issue. I thought about coming on here and saying, well, you know, the reality was, you know, he got picked up by the feds for his involvement in the insurrection. You know, they finally got him. They were able to track him down using some facial recognition on one of those videos. Uh, he was caught stealing a roll of stamps from Chuck Schumer's desk. And, you know, they got him. So he's in federal custody. That's what I was going to say. Uh, but we're going to stick with the, the theme of this week's documentary. And uh, the truth is, I successfully completed a coup. That's right. So as I previously stated, Matt and I were 50-50 on this sucker. And I successfully overthrew him. And now I have complete control of the podcast. So... I don't know if you'll see Matt again, actually. I might never let, let go of uh, control. I might never relinquish control of this podcast ever again. So 
I think maybe you might just be stuck with me. We'll see. I don't know. Unless this, unless this episode sucks. In which case, well, welcome back, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> um, but this week's so this week's documentary is, uh, it just came out, just released on July 9th, I believe. Uh, it is Netflix's How to Become a Tyrant. It is uh, six episodes. Each episode is roughly 30 minutes. And it is narrated by Peter Dinklage, which is, he does an incredible job. Uh, he has like the perfect narration voice. I mean, these documentaries are really nailing the narrator role here, um, with the ones that we've reviewed so far. So the, the synopsis on IMDb for this documentary is, ruling with an iron fist requires an aspiring dictator to know the playbook for absolute power as history's despots prove in this sardonic docuseries so basically just to really briefly we break it down um, each episode covers like a different tactic or a different uh, part of seizing power and becoming a tyrant the entire documentary is narrated is 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 laid out to you as if it's a it's a guidebook for if you are an aspiring tyrant or dictator, like these are the things you have to do to be successful. And it shows you, re, you know, real life examples of what dictators and tyrants did and how they use these things to achieve, you know, their goals or, or, or take power and, and exercise their power and that kind of stuff. Each of the six episodes has a primary focus on a dictator but then it also kind of jumps back and forth and gives you examples for different ones. It kind of uses the same 10 or so, I guess I'd say. So we'll just get right into it. For episode one, um, I believe is titled Seize Power is the first step to becoming a tyrant. And episode one, of course, they're highlighting none other than uh, Adolf Hitler. Uh, you might know him from such hits as The Holocaust and being the loser of world war ii it, it kind of go, it goes each one in this one it goes into a little bit of his background you know he talks about how he was he was a loser he had no friends he was kind of socially a social outcast he was like a failed art a landscape artist apparently and it talks about like and then each under each episode it has a breakdown under seas power like what you need to do to to accomplish that so the first thing we're not going to go into every single you know, bullet point here, but I do want to talk about a couple of them. Um, the first, the first premise that the documentary throws out is that people like to be ruled, that people want a leader. They want somebody to, they, they want somebody to be in control. I thought that was a very interesting thing. I, I kind of wish Matt was here to, <laughs> so I could talk, debate him about this, but I don't know if I, I don't know if I think this, I don't know if that's true or not. I think people like order, but I don't know if people like to be ruled. I think that they want somebody to be in control and they don't want to have to deal with everything. But I don't think that humans want to be told what to do. You know, we like boundaries, but I don't think we like being ruled. I don't know if I agree with that premise. Um, so as I said, the, then it starts breaking down like what the playbook is um, to becoming a successful tyrant. Uh, and step number one is you have to believe in yourself, right? One thing all of these dictators or every dictator has in common is they are egomaniacal. I mean, they, they just, they have 
such a narcissism about them. They think that they are the best. They have all the answers. Nobody else can do what they can do. You have to have that confidence. Like, I mean, it's like uber confidence, especially in the case of Hitler. And it's it's just it's kind of wild. You know, it's just kind of wild exactly like how how sure of themselves they can become. Uh, for example, with Adolf Hitler uh, in World War One, supposedly, you know, he he his, some of his confidence came from this fact that, uh, according to the documentary at least, there was a battle. He was in the trench, and he a voice allegedly a voice told him to move, and so he moved from where he was. And in that moment, after he had moved, like a, a bomb or mortar shell or something had hit where he was, and uh, had he stayed there, it would have killed him so he took that as like a sign you know a sign from the universe that he was destined for great things and then after that uh i guess he made a comment to 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 someone i forget who they said it was but he was so confident in his ability to take over and run uh germany and to you know obviously execute his plan for world domination that he, he told somebody he felt like he was on autopilot, that he was sleepwalking to his destiny, which is kind of a crazy, it's not, not kind of, it is, it's a crazy thing for somebody to think that I am so sure of this, this absurd and inhumane plan that I, this is taking no effort. Like, I'm not even thinking about this. This is mindless. I'm just going through the motions. It's so set in stone already. Uh, I, I think it speaks to probably some profound mental illness he probably had um, I mean for like, just for example he was injured in World War one and I guess when he had found out um, that World War one was over and Germany had surrendered he went temporarily blind I didn't know that to watching this documentary that he went temporarily blind I guess um, because he was so like upset that Germany had surrendered which I just I can't imagine I mean I don't know I guess I've never fought in a war like that before <laughs> I don't know I mean that if personally invested in something but to i mean literally your mind shuts down your ability to see because you're so upset about something i i just i can't i can't imagine that so <laughs> i mean I, I think we had some kind of like i said some kind of profound mental illness on board there but then it kind of goes into some of the other things um that you have to do in order to to seize power it talks about you got to make people angry uh, you got to present yourself as a man of the people. One thing I thought was interesting at this point, he talked about his mustache. You know, he 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 made it, he knew it was important for him to look like a military guy. That's why he was wearing the uniforms and stuff because he knew people respected the uniform, whatever. But they said his mustache. You know, their theory on the mustache is that it was a calculated decision he made. And a lot of people, the rumor is that he did it because of um, the gas masks. You couldn't have a full you know, a full mustache because the, the gas mask wouldn't seal around your mouth uh, because, you know, that was a problem in World War One with, uh, you know, gas being used in warfare. And this documentary says, well, that, that's not why he did it. Why The reason why he did it is because the the Hitler stash, as we all know what it is, as it's called now, it, at the time it was called or referred to as a toothbrush mustache, and it was common amongst like the middle and lower class people. Like it was a very common type of, of mustache style amongst, 
know, just normal everyday people. So it was his way of trying to relate to them and show them he was one of them because like this documentary says, like you have, the people have to believe that you're coming from, from their side of it, that you're going to represent them, that you're, you, you are one of them. Otherwise, if they think that you're just some superior person above them, then they're not going to get on board. Like you're just not going to get their support. You know, then it talks about branding and they made a pretty, what I think is a pretty substantial claim, at least one of the, one of the historians, because the, throughout this, they interview historians who provide some of the background on these different people, but they make the claim that, or one of the historians makes the claim that the swastika, the Nazi swastika is the most potent icon in the history of the planet, which it is very identifiable. I'm not going to say that it's not potent. It definitely elicits a strong response. But to say that the, the Nazi swastika is the most potent icon, I don't know if that's true. It might be one of, it could be like one of the most universally like hated icons. Like it might be uh, an icon that people like can't, like univ- generally speaking, can't say everybody because there are some, you know, wackadoos even in this country. But um, generally speaking, most, the large majority of people see the Swastika, they, they attribute, they associate that with a negative, a negative uh, thought, uh, obviously, thankfully. But I don't know if it's overall the most compelling icon. I mean, I would, I'd imagine, I'd say the American flag is probably way up there, um, for better or worse, uh, either, in either way. And then also, I think that I would say probably the cross is probably the most influential or the most uh, recognizable symbol in all of human history. Uh, I, I can't think of anything that would beat that. I don't think the swastika is more is, is a bigger symbol um, than that. Yeah, I just I just don't. I think most people can identify what this Nazi swastika is and represents. But I mean, come on. For <laughs> the, the cross has been a symbol um, on this planet for Christianity for millennia. So I don't agree with them on that premise either. Um, another thing when we're talking about you know, branding your movement, you know, he made it, Hitler made it very important that his people wore a uniform, like uniforms were important. Um, and they make the, they make the, the, the point in the documentary that a uniform lets you know that you're on the team. Like if you're wearing the uniform, you're on the team and what you need to do in order to get people to kind of climb aboard your movement is you need to convince them that conformity equals unity. It doesn't, it doesn't conformity isn't a negative. It's not a, you're conforming to the order, the rule. It's that it's, it's a sign of it's, it's a strength. Conformity is actually a strength in the movement, which I think is interesting. It's an interesting psychological game they play there. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if that's, if that's necessarily, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that would fly today. I think there's a lot of free think. I, I think it'd be a lot harder to get people to believe that, but maybe not though. I don't know. I, mean, I guess I'm sure you can make the same argument with like, I'm not saying that the mask stuff and the coronavirus stuff is, is, uh, you know, some kind of tyrant movement or something, but, um, you know, wearing a mask is people could say that if you're wearing a mask, it's some, it's a thing of conformity. You're conforming with society or whatever. I mean, 
I guess some people would make the argument. Obviously, I think you're just trying not to kill your neighbors or your family members, so you're just trying to do the decent thing. Uh, but, you know, I'm sure there are some people that make that argument, so I guess maybe that could happen today. Um, then it also makes the point, you know, that I think is it's, uh, it's a good point to make is that no one – no one rules alone in the documentary. They call it, you know, you got to build your squad uh, because then that's true. I mean, one person can't just take over an entire country. There has to be a group. It's a, it's a group of people. One person will be the leader and might have the direction and quarterback the whole thing. But it does take a team of people to assist and it takes a large group of people to agree to go along with it. Um, it has, there has to be enabling. There has to be people that make it happen. Um, no one, no one person can just steamroll everything. Um, it takes a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, people playing bit parts and that kind of stuff. Um, one other thing I thought was interesting is it kind of breaks down, you know, you have to choose, it says you have to choose when to strike. And I didn't realize this. I guess maybe I did, but they kind of lay it out pretty well in the documentary here that, you know, Hitler's rise to power wasn't like an overnight thing. Obviously it took a long time. And actually, I, I believe they said it took over 16 years from his start to when he actually gained power, which is I mean, that's a long that's a long play. And it gives some other examples too, uh, with some other dictators where you know they they had to bide their time. Like they, it wasn't just uh, they had this idea and they just banned overnight work towards it. There's, there's gamesmanship. There's games you got to play politically, you know, within the military, within society. I mean, there's, there's a whole bunch of games they play. Um, so does this stuff, this stuff does take a long time. It's not an overnight thing. Uh, in episode two, um, which is uh, titled Crush Your Rivals, the highlight there is uh, good old Saddam Hussein. Again, it kind of just goes into some of his backstory about how, you know, not surprisingly, when he was younger, he was a bully and he supposedly, I guess, tortured animals, which who would have guessed um, that the guy who they nicknamed the Butcher of Baghdad would have been a, an asshole as a kid. And... They go into, you know, the first thing you have to do is you have to establish your dominance. You know, and the, and the big thing throughout most of these episodes, they talk about the loyalty aspect of everything, how you have to make people like loyalty above everything. You have people have to be loyal to you. And it kind of talks about like some of the stuff that Saddam Hussein did. One thing I thought was, I mean, it's wild. It's a good strategy, I guess. It's a wild strategy, but it, it was effective. Uh, apparently on day six, on day six of his rule, he decided he heard some like mumblings that people weren't happy with his his taking over, and so he holds like this huge thing where he asks all the politicians, everybody, all the you know, big military guys, everybody come in on this big joint session thing, and he has um, this party leader who, so I guess, he had threatened um, to hurt uh, to like have his his daughter and his wife and stuff murdered, sexually assaulted and stuff if he didn't falsely confess to plotting a coup against Saddam. And so this party leader gets up and he gives a speech and he lies to this confession that he was going to try to do a coup. And he starts just naming names. He starts naming random names of people in, the, in attendance. And one by one, they're plucked out by secret police officers. Uh, in all, there were 20 of them. And keep in mind, according to the documentary, these people were all, I mean, there's no proof that these guys were actually involved in any kind of attempt to overthrow Saddam. This was just his show of force to let people know, like, don't even think about it, because if you do, this was going to happen. I don't know how they came up with these names. I'm sure these people who had slighted him in some way in the past or somebody that he thought might be a problem down the down the road. 
But ultimately, 20 of them were sentenced to death. And then the other ones who were plucked out that weren't sentenced to death, he he made them kill the 20. Like So they were the executioners of the 20, which is a sick, sick, sick tactic. Effective, very effective, but uh, but sick. And then he, this is all this whole thing that takes place, I guess, on video. It's all recorded. And Saddam orders it to be sent out to like every every Iraqi embassy and consulate and every, like he wanted every Iraqi to see it. Every Iraqi government official member, everybody, he wanted all of them to see what, what would happen if he even thought you were thinking about coming against him, um, which was, which was nuts. Um, you know, then they, they go into, you, you gotta be everywhere. You gotta be a master of mind games. You have to buy loyalty if you have to, it goes into, I've never heard this term before. Uh, it's very interesting and intriguing. It's called a kleptocracy. Yeah, a kleptocracy. And basically that is where a government seizes a country's like natural resources, which is what he did. He seized the oil. He, if you if you seize it and you control it, then that's where all your money, your for your funding, for your you know, your empire or whatever it comes from. And then the other thing, just to show you his ruthlessness under this bullet point where they have where everybody is expendable, which is funny because you demand loyalty, but then everybody who's loyal to you is completely expendable, which I guess is just the way it has to be um, if you're going to be a, a jackass tyrant. But they give the example of how he had his son-in-laws killed and then he had their bodies dragged around Baghdad behind the back of a pickup truck um, as, a, as a sign of like, if I'm going to, if I would do this to my uh, daughter's, husbands imagine what i would do to you maybe these people are essentially you know family by marriage but these are family and look look at look at how i disrespect them and you know his his son was um and the documentary touches kind of briefly on it but his son was a a a, a terror he was horrific um i believe he you know, he's dead obviously he's dead now but he would uh he would torture people he'd murder people he would uh, kidnap and sexually assault people. I mean, he was just—he was a fucking menace as well. Uh, just a real, a real knucklehead. Uh, in episode number three, they get into uh, what they call reigning through terror, and they give uh, this example of this guy, and I, I can't remember his exact name. I believe his name is Amin Dada, and um, he was a dictator in Uganda, and they kind of go over how how he did things. Um, he was a little bit sneaker about concealing things and that kind of stuff. But one thing they asked here, uh, and I've heard this quote before, and I'm sure you have too. Um, it's posed by Machiavelli. Uh, is, uh, I don't know if it's a quote, but it's a thought, I guess. It's a question. Is it better to be feared or loved? Is it better to be feared or loved? And I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a philosopher. I don't know. I guess when I, when I think about it, I would imagine it's better to be loved, right? I mean, obviously that's the more like positive, you know, you know, the more positive one. The, the rainbows and clouds and blue skies and birds chirping. Like obviously being loved is a better thing to have. But which one's more effective? Which one's more useful? Which one is better in ruling? And I think loved is probably harder to achieve, but I think it's probably ultimately better in the long run, right? Uh, being feared only goes so far and fear creates contempt. You know, fear creates, um, you know, it, it, it creates other, it elicits other emotions aside from 
loyalty. And I mean, people will people will comply, but it's not out of a good place. It's because they're being forced to. They're being compelled. And once they feel they're not compelled, like if you don't keep that level of fear up, if you get soft, and as they talk about in episode four, if you get soft, then people will no longer fear you, and then they will no longer comply with you, and then that's when you get overthrown. So I think being loved is probably harder to accomplish, but I think it's probably more effective in the long run. Um, so in episode three, a lot of this stuff is... You know, like uh, they say, to choose a scapegoat. Uh, you need to weaponize the law. You know, obviously bring the pain. And if you're going to reign through terror, you're going to have to torture people. Or you're going to have to scare people. Um, so they talk about some of his torture techniques and some of the things he would do. Um, and then the last one is ultimately start a war. And in the documentary, talk about how he is losing control. So as a way of like trying to grab hold of his of his, of control of the country, he starts this war in. Um, I forget which neighboring country, but he, he goes to war with the country and essentially gets his ass kicked. Like it's, it's not even close. Like his military was nowhere near ready to, to take on uh, the country and um, they got their asses kicked and he ended up, uh, I think he fled to Saudi Arabia. I don't know if he's still alive or not, but apparently he fled to Saudi Arabia after he realized that the gig, the gig was up in episode number four, um, which is called control, control the truth. Uh, they get into Joseph Stalin and kind of just the lengths that he went to to really control and, and seize control for as long as he did. You know, it's like rewriting history. You got to have sense. You got to censor everything. He he utilized uh, they call seduce outsiders who Lenin, his predecessor, uh, described as, quote, quote, unquote, useful idiots. <laughs> which which I think is funny. Um, the other thing I talked about is, uh, you know, destroying God. Um, basically, it's not enough to, to just destroy God, but you have to repress religion and then replace it with something else. Obviously, in a dictatorship, a tyrant is going to replace it with the government. It's going to replace it with the state. It's going to replace it with themselves. You have to corrupt science. Uh, you have to eliminate trust. You have to make people feel like their neighbors are going to tell on them. That if they're, you know, basically create a, uh, an environment where they can't even think about saying anything wrong because you don't know who you can trust. You don't know which neighbor or which family member. There were stories of children turning in their parents <laughs> for stuff, which is <laughs> fucking nuts. Um, but, you know, so I mean, that's, you know, he was he was an effective dictator. Um, I also talked about like the some, some of the he was the first leader to really start using you know, if an early form of Photoshop, and it's just kind of something that at the time it was probably very, I don't know. I don't know the history of like editing photos, but it's probably pretty progressive or pretty uh, advanced thinking at the time. Uh, like in one, one photo, he, he like lengthened his arm and he made himself look younger um, and he wanted to make himself look bigger next, you know? So it's like, he's using all these like cycle. I don't know. I don't know if he ordered this or somebody in his, government did but um you know for them to know like just looking at a picture and these like little things matter to the human subconscious like if he looks bigger and more imposing and like if his arms look longer and it's just it's going to do something psychologically it's going to make people you know think a certain way about him just on this one image i mean it's kind of ahead of his time probably i don't know i don't know if we were you know if other leaders if other governments were 
were doing that if the media, you know, like advertisers and stuff had already started implementing those kind of little 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 tips and tricks into their marketing campaigns and stuff. But it was a very, you know, kind of an eye-opening thing that he was in, engaging in that kind of stuff so early. Uh, in episode number five, it uh, talks about creating a new society. They talked about uh, Muammar Gaddafi. Uh, and, you know, they kind of go over like um, – things about you know you have to be the law you have to build a legacy which is basically like he took on this this project this man-made river project which was uh ultimately it took forever it was way over budget it is gonna drain the aquifer and i forget how many years they said like it's just not it's not gonna be what he thought it was obviously and you gotta indoctrinate your youth supposedly he wrote like this he called it the green book which is like just basically ramblings I guess, and it's like mandatory reading for all, or it was mandatory reading for all school-aged children, for all school children in the country. One thing he did that was really progressive is he had, and I didn't know this, but he had an all-woman guard. He called it his Amazonian guard. So he had a, like a, a bodyguard, like a secret service of all women. Which you'd think is, it sounds progressive. It sounds like, okay, that's pretty wild. But then you find out that it was actually just like a harem and that these girls were not there voluntarily. They were basically snatched from the streets and then they were forced to undergo, you know, like training and torture. And then they were essentially just sexually assaulted. So it, they weren't there. You know, obviously he's a, he's a shithead. So obviously it wasn't a good thing. But on face, on face value, right? On paper, um, you know, I guess it would look like a, a progressive thing to do, but in reality, you know, tyrants are going to be tyrants. And then, as I said earlier, um, you know, under this creative society, you have to stick to your guns. Gaddafi got soft. He realized that things weren't working out for him as well as he thought they would, and so he started really rolling back some of his more, you know, more aggressive rules and laws and just it didn't work out you know because once like i said once you get rid of the fear then people aren't they're not going to comply if they feel like they don't have to so obviously as i'm sure most of you are, are aware no uh, i think it was in 2011 uh 2012 his uh his people rose up against him and they captured him and i believe if i'm they don't talk about this in documentary but if i i believe if i remember correctly he was beaten and sodomized uh, before he was killed by his people, which is probably not how he envisioned things going. But, um, you know, you stick it to them long enough, they're going to stick it right back to you. So uh, episode number six, uh, which is the last episode, talks about ruling forever. This this is the one where they have said this is the one guy, because all these other ones, obviously, you know, Hitler killed himself. You know, Stalin died. You know, he lived in ripe old age and died. So he, he kind of lasted as long as he could. I mean, Dada, I believe, the guy from Uganda, obviously he fled, he ran off. Muammar Gaddafi was killed. Saddam Hussein was killed. Um, he was captured and killed. He was famously hung. I don't know if you guys ever seen that video before. Pretty sick video um, of him getting hung. But um, so, I mean, they all met their fates. Uh, but in North Korea where you have the Kim dynasty. Um, it kind of talks about how, how they've been able to preserve that for so long. And 
you know, some of the big things here are that, you know, obviously, number one, he's able to isolate, they're, they're able to isolate the kingdom. Um, and they quote, <laughs> they, have a, they have a good quote in here from comedian Chris Rock. Uh, that is, a man is only as faithful as his options. So, which I thought was funny for him to throw in here. But it is fitting. I mean, if if you isolate your people so much that they don't have any other option, they don't know anything differently, I mean, then they're gonna just they're gonna go along with it because that's what they know. I mean, obviously they have an idea that things are different outside of it, but if you're told all the time that this is the best, everything outside of here is crazy, um, they're gonna hurt you, they're gonna kill you. I'm what's keeping you safe. I'm protecting you. I provide. Over time, you're just you're gonna that's that's what you're gonna be conditioned to believe. That's what you're gonna believe. So, super effective method. Um, obviously, that talks about the the dynasty. We have Kim Il Sung was the was the original. He had his son Kim Jong Il, who took over. I didn't realize this. I guess his big, like according to the documentary, his big like claim to f- power was and he. I guess he wasn't even the son that was favorited to take over power, but he took over a propaganda studio and he made a movie called The Sea of Blood. I'd be super interested in seeing if that movie is available somewhere. I haven't looked it up. I I, I want to know if that movie is available to watch and see what that is. Because apparently that was like what catapulted him to the, the front for uh, taking over, succeeding his father. Then they talk about kidnapping people, um, which is, is an effective way of, of maintaining your rule. And they tell the story about how North, the North Korean government kidnapped the South Korean actress. And I believe it was a, he was a director, I believe. I believe it was her husband. And they basically kept them for so long, and I, I assume tortured them, and then they started coring, started uh, appearing and starring in uh, North Korean like propaganda movies and films, um, which is which is crazy. And it got me thinking. Like, I wonder what, wonder what celebrity like if if I mean they had, I mean Dennis Rodman's a celebrity, but he's like a willing participant. But I wonder if there's like a, an actor or actress today that North Korea would think that you know if I took this. I took this actor, actress from America. This would be effective. This would be helpful. So who do you guys think that would be? Let us know. Hit us up in the comments or um, email, whatever. Let us know. Who do, who do you think that would be? Who would be an effective person from the kidnap? That's just, uh, we'll see. And we'll, we'll follow up next week. <laughs> One of the other things here, episode six, they talk about is you have to assert your divinity. Kind of going back to like an episode uh, episode four, where you have to, you know, repress and replace religion. <laughs> Kim Jong, Kim Jong Il, allegedly, I'm sure you've heard some of these claims before, but just to how he asserted his divinity, um, among a bunch of other things, where he he could walk and talk at like a extremely early age when he was a baby, he could allegedly, among other things, uh, control the weather. He allegedly hit 11 hole, holes in one the first time he ever played golf, which of all these things might be the most unbelievable because if you've ever played golf before, I have. I'm a terrible I'm a terrible golfer. I enjoy it. I love playing, but I am bad. I am like aggressively bad, uh, like embarrassingly bad, kind of dangerously bad to be honest. I have a, I have a wicked slice when I'm driving and uh, – I haven't hurt anybody, but I've come pretty, pretty damn close. So 
for him to make the claim that he got 11 hole in one, 11 holes in one the first time he ever played that to me is the most the most outrageous claim he makes here <laughs> he also says he invented the hamburger and the funniest one is that he doesn't shit or piss his body is he's so perfect his body was so perfect that he he excreted no waste he had a waste free body which I don't even know, like, like I, I understand like the eleven holes in one, like because that's a whatever, like to brag. Controlling the weather, I don't know why you would say that, because then people are going to blame you for shitty weather, right? Then you have to make excuses all the time as to like, well, why that flood come? It's like, well, I needed it for this. Like you'd have to make excuses for shit weather all the time. You have to make it sound like it's a good reason, um, other than you're just torturing your populace. Inventing the hamburger, I, I, I don't get it. I don't. North Korea, I mean. Is pretty well known that they don't like starvation is a huge problem for them, um, which it's, it's a problem. But as the documentary says, letting people starve is actually a tactic to continue your reign because starving people can't rebel. But why you would brag about inventing a hamburger, which is something that most of your population probably has never eaten or definitely won't get the opportunity to eat. So bragging about <laughs> inventing something you can't provide to people doesn't seem like a great idea to me. Um, I, I don't know why you would even say you don't shit. I don't, I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense to me. If anything, it goes against episode number one's advice where you have to like, you know, make yourself like the common or like the common people. If you're making claims that you don't shit or piss, then you're too, you're too up there. But I guess at this point though, you need to assert your divinity. So he's trying to say like, I, my family is destined. We are godly. So we are above you. So I guess once you ascend a certain level, then it becomes that. Uh, and the last step, obviously, is go nuclear, um, which, I mean, it's super effective. Super effective way of uh, maintaining your power, obviously. So which will probably someday be the end, end of all of us. If it's not global warming or this coronavirus, it'll probably be an all-out nuclear war. And we'll probably have North Korea partially to think for it. But I guess, guess we'll, we'll, we'll see. Stay tuned. Um, the, the documentary ends uh, by basically talking about how, in reality, and they make this they make this 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 point in episode one as well. Um, number one, these po- these these populations that were controlled in Germany and Uganda and, and Russia and North Korea, those populations are no different than any other country's population. Like the the Germans in the 1930s. We're no, we're really no different than any other population. That it could happen to anybody. It could happen to any populace. Um, and then number two, that anybody is capable. They make the claim that anybody is capable of being a tyrant. Not enough. That's true. I'm sure there are some people who are, you know, obviously egotistical and narcissistic. But I don't know if anybody could be a tyrant. I mean, there's some pretty meek people out there. Some pretty uncharismatic people. Um, people who just don't lead, who can't lead, who don't want to lead. So I don't know if I believe that. I don't know. If, I don't know if I believe that premise either. Um, but I don't know. Let me know. Let me know what you guys think. So, so that's that's kind of that's the six episodes that kind of wraps it up for a recap. Uh, overall, it is a. I'll say it's an all right documentary or docu series. Um, you know, it's like a history channel thing. The way they do it a little cutesy where it's like you're 
it's narrated in a way or it's told as in a way like this is a playbook for how to become a tyrant. This is how you, this, this is the steps you need to take in order to take control. So it's kind of, you know, tongue in cheek in that way. It's, it's all right. It's, 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 they kind of jump around a lot. Like they have each episode is broken down by um, like, this is what you have to do. And then here's an example of like the main example of like Hitler doing this, but then they jump in and out of it with other examples from like other people. Um, so it seemed a little disjointed, I guess it was pretty simplistic. I mean, there's like, there was some, like, obviously some like archival footage and that kind of stuff. There's also animation, which I was watching. I was like, imagine being like the, the guy who graduates art school and you work for like this animation place or whatever. And they're like, all right, we've got a great job for you. It's going to be like a, a three month thing, blah, blah, whatever. It's going to be great pay. Like, awesome. Great. What am I doing? It's like, we're going to come in every day and you are going to draw Hitler. <laughs> you're going to draw Saddam Hussein. <laughs> you're gonna do, you know what I mean? Like you're going to draw these things. Like I'm sure these art students did not think that was going to be what they're drawing. Um, but I guess the job's a job, but so, you know, the animations were, the animations were, were fine. Again, it wasn't like in some other documentaries where it's like totally out of place and it seems so ridiculous. It is a little weird to have like animations of, you know, violent things and, and terrible things. But, you know, th- this one, I, I feel like it was a little less ridiculous than in documentaries past. The, I think like, uh, w- you know, one criticism is I understand why they chose these tyrants, these dictators to talk about. I mean, they left out some big ones. Uh, I think the most notably would probably be Chairman Mao in China. Um, you know, and they also talked about some other ones, uh, like Pol Pot and that kind of stuff. So, so they did they did briefly talk about them, but there's some ones that, I don't know, I guess you only have six episodes, it's 30 minutes per episode, so you have to pick and choose your battles, I guess. But So, so I don't know. I mean, overall, it's... If you're a history buff and you're interested in these kind of things, I'd say watch it. If you're not really that big into history, it's probably not worth a watch. Like if, you, if you're not interested, if you weren't one of those kids who used to watch the History Channel all the time, like used to watch World War II documentaries and World War II shows and all that kind of stuff, like Vietnam shows on the History Channel after school, um, you're, you're probably not going to like this. This is probably going to be kind of boring for you. I mean, it is small. It is bite-sized pieces. And they do do it in kind of a, a quick way. It doesn't really get bogged down ever. But in doing so, it kind of, it's very shallow. It's not very substantive. It's very derivative. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, the thing is, when I was watching this, I kept thinking, like, who is this for? Like, who is this documentary? Like, who, first of all, who asked for this documentary to be made? There's all kinds of other shows that cover this kind of stuff. I don't think anything in this is groundbreaking. Nothing is new. I mean, I, there's a couple of things that I either had heard before and forgot or that I didn't know. They weren't super shocking. So I did, I guess, like, I'd say I did learn a few things from it, but nothing, you know, revelatory. Um, so... I, I just I don't know who this was made for. Uh, I I don't know I don't know who this is for. I will say and I'll go over this briefly that when watching this I couldn't help I couldn't help but see some of the similarities or some of the instances in our own history, especially our recent history, <laughs> um, with some of this stuff and how it relates to the way that um, American government 
is is carried out here um you know like the, the the first time of this was like really like it just really really hit me was in episode one was talking about um i was like branding your movement and that kind of stuff and then you have like the whole like mega mega stuff which listen every again I don't, I don't want this to be like a hate on trump trump's a tyrant thing um you, you by now you guys know i think he's a fucking asshole and he's an idiot and i i just i can't i can't imagine voting for the guy but he did there are people who like him whatever um but there were so many so many of these things and watching the show where i was like man this is so similar this sounds so similar like this is, sounds like was somebody using this playbook like did did somebody get a screener of this a couple of years ago um like back like around 2017 and they you know, 20 2015 i guess and uh you know, kind of took some notes here. Is that is that what happened? Because some of the stuff, man, is just like, uh, it just kind of sticks out. It just kind of sticks out that some of these tactics sure seem like they've been used, not just in 2016 with uh, President <clears throat> President Trump, but um, other presidents in the past as well. Um, just other politicians in general, just the way that things are done. Um, and some of these things, like some of these things are you know, like being, make yourself a, a person, uh, be a man of the people, be a person of the people. I mean, that's not a, that there might not always be a sinister part of that, but I guess sometimes there are, um, I guess if you're trying to be a tyrant, it is. So I thought that was striking. And if you watch this, I'm sure maybe you'll get the same thoughts. If you just watch it, you think, wow, okay, this, this checks out. This is kind of this. I, I can remember like an example of this. Like, I'm not going to go into all of them, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you watch it, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, all in all, to watch it again, I'd say I'd have to go six beers, six like a beer an episode, basically. <laughs> I think I I don't know if it's worth a rewatch. Peter Dinklage does a great job; he's the perfect voice for it. Um, but again, it's it's cool. It's it's, it's edited well. It's not it's not bad. It's just. I, I I don't know who it's for. I don't, I don't know who this one was for. So, um, but I, I'll, I'll go six beers to watch again. Beer an episode. That's that's the ruling. Uh, so yeah, but uh, that's gonna wrap it up for the solo episode here. As always, make sure you guys subscribe, rate, and review. Make sure you're sharing this with friends. We really appreciate it. Make sure you check us out. We are on Facebook. We do have a Twitter. Twitter is at for real pod. Uh, any kind of questions, comments, feedback, suggestions. If you hate us, you love us, whatever, is uh, cancel the podcast at gmail.com. And uh, really appreciate you guys listening. I'm Special K, and we'll see you guys next time.